Welcome back to the Unanimous Decision Podcast. I am your host, Deepalm. Follow me on Twitter at Deepalm66. Follow the show on Twitter at UDPod. Follow the entire MTR network at, you guessed it, the MTR network. You found us. Don't you dare lose a subscribe on iTunes. Subscribe on Spotify. Subscribe everywhere podcasts are given away for absolutely free 99. We're back. We're back again two weeks in a row. We're just shy of 200. I want to talk about something really quickly because this is episode 189 or 190, depending on when I decide to drop it. Now, I was looking back at our numbers. I got a lot of these unnumbered episodes in this motherfucker. And not many podcasts make it past 50. Fewer make it past 100. So technically, I crossed 200 a while ago, but I'm going to enjoy the March of 200. It's going to be a slow March of 200. I'm going to have some of my favorite people on just talking about whatever the fuck I want to talk about. Um, I'm very excited about this. And the first person on this March is someone who, for the first time, and I want to say four years doing the show, and actually seven years in podcasting, which is crazy. I did just didn't post a show. And Cam's pretty aware of what happened and like my life got kind of turned up and down in the moment. But like I recorded a full ass show and I just I edited it and everything and just didn't drop it. And this is kind of a make good and kind of like a tacit admission that even every well-balanced life should have toxic people in it. <laughs> Like, and I'm growing as a man. And it's important that I remember what could go, if, if I misstep, where I could end up. And that's why my friend Cam's on today. I'm not going to give an intro. I'm not going to tell you what he does. He's, uh, no, you guys know at this point, or you don't, and God bless you. Um, <laughs> but I will say this. After all that shit I just talked about, Cam, there are a couple episodes a year where I get pretty pissed off. And I talk about something I actually care about, and I give you guys less of what I think and more of what I feel. And this is going to be one of those episodes, because we're talking about the Pac-12 and for an explanation of that. And normally I do these shows on myself because I don't want anyone else to get dragged into my bullshit. And there's one person I deal with on a regular basis who I know has the range to do what he does, but also talk about some serious shit. And that's why I'm glad you're here today, Cam. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I, I do appreciate that. Yeah, I'm doing good, man. Um, you know, we, we all kind of, and I say we all, like the two of us, we digest a lot of the same information. And so like when you ask me to do a show and you kind of list out the bullet points that we're talking about, I'm like, that's what I've been talking about. That's what I've been listening. And I have I have thoughts on all this stuff. So no, yeah, I'm, I'm doing great. And this is the kind of stuff I like to be on. Like, uh, I, I didn't tell you this, Paul, um, and not to talk too much about my stuff, but, you know, a, a guy randomly like was on Twitter and he was like, hey, um, I want to, he's like, we should do a show together. And I'm like, okay, we're scheduling it out. We're doing all that. And then I start to like really read the messages and it's like, no, I want you, Cameron, to interview me on your podcast. And I was like, oh, like random guy. I didn't know this was like what was happening. And so, you know, oh, no. like you still want to like you want to be cool to people. And it's like, well, I don't really know like a lot about this guy. But like, right. uh, so so that's going to get done eventually. I guess when I get to know the guy a bit more what he does. But like, no, this is <laughs> it's nice when somebody you already have a rapport with wants you on to talk about the same stuff. Like. <laughs> You just this man just wanted things from me. I, I don't know like where that even came from. But no, when, when you and I get together and get to discuss like like the things that directly and indirectly affect us and, and mm -hmm. the people that we talk to, people we're around. Now, this is this is my favorite uh, space to be in as far as being any type of guest. So yeah, absolutely. Man, I do appreciate you coming on. Uh, before we get into anything, the deeper topics, the bigger topics I've been talking about, bigger God, just other topics. I want to start in WNBA. I'm going to start in Atlanta because the Atlanta Dream, everyone knows this, is co-owned by Kelly Loeffler. Kelly Loeffler has been openly, loudly critical of Black Lives Matter, many players first movement. What's going on here is interesting because it's kind of a microcosm of what's happened to American discourse as lar at large. Because we're talking more about the opposition to this progressive-ass, consistent, loud league then we're talking about what they're actually doing. And make no mistake, Kelly Loeffler didn't buy into the Atlanta Dream and became surprised by their stances on things. If you are involved or even tacitly aware of the WNBA, their politics are on the front of everything they do. And I honestly wish more organizations would follow suit in that way. But Kelly Loeffler only became loudly positive to this once she started losing in the polls. Remember, Kelly Loeffler was appointed to that seat. She's never won a fucking election, ever. I have not checked her, I assume, 
one of the private schools in Atlanta that she attended that I probably either attended with her or was a rival of. I I know where she, I know this person. Let's just make that very clear. I'm aware of who she is. And she didn't, this is not some ideological shift for her. She saw an opportunity for some grift. And so she said, I'm gonna come out here and be loud and anti-Black Lives Matter and anti my team. Where she miscalculated is she overestimated the importance of the WNBA in the lives of her constituents. Because this is the national story, Cam. You've heard about this story in Texas. Holes ain't budge, brother. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and the big thing for me with her is like, well, that's with her, but like the WNBA is, is very much a we stand together, we feel the same way about things, we're not afraid to speak out. Like, are WNBA players wildly underpaid? Absolutely. But I do think that plays into the idea of, I don't have a lot to lose. Mm-hmm. So I get to say exactly what the fuck I feel. Yeah. Um, and just because you're the person with money in charge of this, like, does not mean I owe any loyalty to you. I'm not afraid of being traded or let go. And as a matter of fact, if all of us feel this way, you can't let everybody go. You'll be the one that leaves. And, um, and I've even really seen the... Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, I'm saying I've even seen the thing where people are like, uh, you know, them wearing them wearing T-shirts saying vote for her opponent is cancel culture. It's like, no, it's literally like the American political system. <laughs> we support somebody the else. The freedom of speech. Yeah. Um, it's something that's really interesting you talked about there because you're right. The t- and that's what I was going to get to. The T-shirts are wearing not just the Atlanta Dream players, but across the WNBA, vote Warnock for her political opponent. You've got to understand <laughs> This is a generational thing. So, Ken, you and I are roughly the same age. I am an older person because I don't live your life, thank God, anymore. Which is actually really funny because I get to chastise you publicly and then privately see you DMs like, I'm really glad. <laughs> I'm not single. It's all the same with that shit. It's very funny. That that's our dynamic that no one knows about. It's very funny. Absolutely. <laughs> but it's generational. Like, you and I are around the same age. So, you and I are, are millennial ish, millennial generation. I'm not going to, I was born in 85, millennial. And what's interesting is that my generation, our generation, is the one that was told, if you get inside the system, you can change it. The generation before us was told, if you get inside the, gener- the machine, it'll give you what you deserve. You're going to work for 40 years at the same job, and you're going to get your retirement, your gold watch, and you'll be able to live off that. Our generation was told that was a lie, but we're told we could fix it from within. The generation after us has said, yo, the generation before us got scammed like a motherfucker, burned mm-hmm. the shit to the ground. And one thing I've noticed about the younger generation is that, yeah, we've all worked jobs we didn't love. We've all done shit for a paycheck. But their line of, I don't want to be embarrassed about where I work, is different than ours ever was. And Kelly Loeffler running for her seat that was appointed to her, would there's a lot... Michael Jordan wouldn't stand out against Jesse Helms, y'all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Didn't want to rock the boat. Um, and it's interesting you say that. Like, we have, um, you know, in, in wrestling right now, we have, like, this big divide between your Booker T's and Mark Henry's and your Naomi's and Sasha Banks's. Like, it's very much a, like you said, a generation of people who, you know, we worked hard to get here. Um, we're here and we don't want to do anything to upset that. And we need you to work exactly as hard. <laughs> even, Their view is like, like only one path. Yeah, yeah. Like like even though we made progress, we need you to go back to the same starting line mm-hmm. and fight like we did. Like we didn't do any of this for you. We did this for us. Um and yeah, and these kids, you know, the TikTok generation, like as they're called, like they they <laughs> have Yeah. They, there's like no that. fear of of, of pushback, um, there's no fear of consequence, well, and it's very much a noble thing. And I want to slow down here because I think there's fear. There, and that's and that's what makes it impressive because they're cognizant of what they have to lose. Hmm. Especially, we'll, we'll talk about that more. As you, I, I'm in, I'm stealing TikTok thing. We're gonna use that on the college players later on because you're right. They're acting with impunity, but I think it's not fear. I think it's the recognition that fear is what makes it courage. Yeah. I got you. Let's go to the NBA. Let's go to the bubble. Let's leave the bubble. Go to the NBA. The playoffs haven't started, so I'm not covering games officially yet. I do want to say this. I've waited a long fucking time to do this. <laughs> the Spurs will not win 50 games this year for the first time 
in about 23 years. Yeah, yeah. It is fucking wild how consistently good that franchise has been. <laughs> and they are, you know, if 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 a couple of things break right, like they could still get into that ninth spot to, to play in for the eighth, it might not happen. But yeah, it, it's amazing. Like, living through it and living there. Like, you know, the, uh, the 99 championship, that's me... Uh, going from middle school to high school. The 03 championship is literally the summer I moved to, uh, cause I started college like a couple of days after I graduated high school. So I graduated on a Saturday. I moved to Austin on a Monday. Uh, the, but, well, first of all, we're the yeah. exact same age and that's weird. I didn't realize that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I was born in 85 too, for sure. Okay. So, um, yeah, that, that summer is when- Holy um, shit, you really are like, for the grace of God, there go I. Oh my God. This yeah. is- they they uh they win the championship my first semester of college and so like we're you know, I'm on my own for the first time celebrating this thing for a whole summer and my grades reflected that um and so yeah I've been you know, there for some kind of the whole run I, there was that year that I couldn't sleep after they lost the 13 finals and then cried after the 14 finals um yeah. oh and also Paul I'm going off on so many crazy crazy tangents a buddy of mine actually passed away. Um, in like 2016, and the last picture we have together is drinking champagne out of a small trophy the night the Spurs won the 2014 title. So yeah, wow. the whole run's just been amazing. And so yeah, if, if this is, and, and I know we're going to talk about Kawhi a bit later, but yeah, Kawhi's definitely, uh, he's sitting out today, of course, against the Blazers, so the Blazers can maintain that eighth or ninth spot so the Spurs can't get it. He hates us so much. He's right, yeah. too. Like, like, Okay, well, yeah, I'm not, not going to sit here and debate this, like, but I will say this. A lot of people will love to, like, Kawhi's in the wrong because of the Spurs' reputation. I'm just like, guys. Oh, he's 100% correct. I, I want to make sure that I say that the, as a, as a the, Spurs the fan. Like, me is that the Clippers handed the MRIs of his knee to the NBA, and the NBA said, yeah, you can skip games. Like, yeah. that? Uh-huh. <laughs> like, it was a summer will publicly lean on your team if you're trying to skip – Rest players and the league was like, oh no, he can skip. Like, exactly. That's why I'm worried about Kawhi's knees, and that's why I know the Spurs dropped the ball in this one. No, I bring the Spurs up because they may not be winning at the same clip, but they're always going to be in the spotlight because of Greg Popovich. Greg Popovich Absolutely. was asked on August 2nd if Marco Bellinelli was playing tonight. He gave a two-paragraph answer about the history of literacy tests in North Carolina, and at the end he said Marco Bellinelli is out tonight. I yeah, may not he's... love your team, but goddamn, I love your coach. <laughs> he's fantastic. He's a man. Oh, man. For forever amazing. If, if he, I don't know if he has the actual temperament for it, but yeah, whatever public office he decides to run for, if he ever decides to do that. He didn't Texas. win. He couldn't win in Texas. <laughs> you don't think so? He could win. too much truth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like he could win. I'm trying to think like what district he could win. Like he could, yeah, he could oh, win. He, win a, he couldn't win a statewide race. Yeah, the local he level, he'd be fine. Yeah, <laughs> he, he was Austin. He could, he win something in San Antonio, maybe in certain parts. Yeah, he would do the thing that I did last night. I'm talking to a guy who's a history teacher, um, solid guy too. And I said, I said, you know, why do you think they exclude things like Tulsa Massacre from history um, that they teach in school? He was like, man, I don't know. Why do you think? I was like, because they don't want to hurt white people's feelings. And he was like, that's not it. And so I looked at him and I said, well, what is it? And he stops for a second and he's like, you know what? You might have skipped two or three steps, but that's what it is. I was like, okay. <laughs> so, yeah, well, Pop would the, say the, that the, the heads the, would explode. The easiest, the easiest one to teach people about the history of American racism. And I say, hey, man, are you big? Do you know about Martin Luther King? They say, of course I do. I say, is he a celebrated figure? Of course he is. I said, who's the bad guy in his story? And they will stop. Yeah. Because the answer is America. Absolutely. You know, <laughs> I don't reconcile that. But the good guy in the story, in this particular story, is LeBron James. I came on this podcast last year. I told everyone, when Anthony Davis got signed, I said, y'all dog, I don't believe, I, tell me what you want about the Clippers, tell me what you want about any other team in the West. Give me the Lakers, the one team they're going to win it. And for the first time in 10 years, they're the one seed. For the first time since 2008, they go for the first team to go from the lottery to the one seed in one year. He is, and he being Anthony Davis, um, I remember, Paul, like everything, everything's tied to a moment, right? I remember Mm -hmm. waking up in Miami the day after WrestleMania, um, getting hyped for the national title game, and then waking up 
Tuesday morning with the Kentucky Wildcats for the national title on the newspaper. Um, and he was that good then, and he's just gotten better and better. And now him finally being in a position of you know competency, <laughs> he is just so fun to watch. Anthony Davis can do everything. The way that kid moves at that size is amazing. Kid can shoot from outside. Nobody can do anything with him in the paint. And then he's there with LeBron James. Like it's 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 like new bully ball. It's they so are just funny so, because everyone great. told me about how the Clippers they got so much talent in the wing. So I'm like, first of all, none of those players can pass. No one creates any shots for anyone else. But whatever, have enjoy your time. I said, what happens inside? What do you mean? When the, when the game goes inside, like what happens? The game's played outside now. Okay, cool. If Anthony Davis is on the floor, he's played wherever the fuck he wants to be played. Yeah. And if he decides that he's going inside, guess where he's going? Inside. You can't even stymie him. Yeah, there's nothing you can do. And it was like, so it, funny after the last season. The first that was marred by injury for LeBron James, kind of a down season for the Lakers. The world would tell you that it was a mistake. They never should have brought him. Bueller? Looks pretty good from here. Looks really good. Looks um, pretty good from here. And you know what looks good from here? Your boy, Deepal, me, making predictions, giving out awards. Because on this podcast, for five fucking straight weeks, I said I'd give my rookie of the year to Zion, not over to Ja. And everyone told me how wrong I was. And guess what? Even a couple weeks ago, I came on here and acquiesced. I said, you know what? If the season had continued, I believe it would have been Zion. This is the season ended when it did. Give it to Ja. And what has happened since then? I'll answer that for you. The Grizzle Toilet. The Pelicans. Streaking, especially when Zion's on the floor. They're so good when Zion's on the floor that if the Pelicans sneak into the eighth seed, the story will be Zion trying to go at LeBron and not the return of Anthony Davis to burn down New Orleans. Yeah, yeah. They, um, they Brandon Ingram. Like, I... Yo, and then the baby Lakers, all like there's so many storylines, but the number one storyline would be Zion going at the Lakers, and that's how good you. That's how I know mm-hmm. he's that good. I, I wonder what that minute restriction is going to look like in the playoffs. Um, like they're doing everything oh, they can like, to not like, play him crazy. Adam Silver picking up a phone and being like, "That's yeah. what you're not going to do." Yeah, he's going <laughs> to be playing 30 he's minutes 12, a night. Twelve in the fourth quarter. Fuck you. <laughs> But they are. That is a fun team to watch. Like Ingram, Zoe, they really are fun to watch. Um, and every time I watch him, I get reminded, oh, Brandon Ingram will beat your ass. Like, I forget. If you see a skinny dude, you're like, oh, man, he's a skinny ass dude. He's from the same hometown as Jerry Stackhouse. He will whip your ass. Yeah. Skinny dude can fight. Please believe that. Just, just everyone should know that. As we get into the playoffs, if the Pelicans make it and it's the Lakers, dear Lord, Brandon Ingram might square up on J.R. Smith. Or, oh, no, it won't be JR. It'll be Dion. I'm about to say, like, I think it's going to be Dion. You know what? That's on me. That's on me. Professional score, Dion Waiters. Oh, stop it. You stop that right now. <laughs> There's a good chance, Dion. Dion Waiters might hear this now because you said Yeah, that. right? <laughs> I heard on your D-Pod, I'm professional score. I like that. No. He's going to put up 20 more shots the next I don't game. think LeBron James mad enough. I don't think LeBron James know our name. No, please no. <laughs> Wisney. I, okay, so we talked about this before the podcast. I've been walking. It's a, 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 a exercising thing. Same. I'm kind of getting in shape. You know, two plus you can do that. And I don't have a great left knee. I, um, the last football stadium in America that had the old school field turf, the old school astroturf, like carpet over asphalt, was Cornell University. Last game played on that turf was versus Columbia University in 2005. The last person. Stretch it off of that field was your boy, Deepaw. I took a helmet to the left knee, and our doctor at Columbia, who's still there, um, I, he wasn't going to cut me, Cam. And I'm not inviting anyone to Google him or nothing, because he does like work with actual real-life like professional athletes. Mm-hmm. He wasn't going to cut me. So as I'm doing this walking, the last two weeks, I think it's been like a pinched nerve or something in my knee. And it hurts to walk sometimes. And I repeat, Kawhi Leonard gave his MRI to the NBA, and they said you can skip games. What are we doing, Cam? Yeah, I mean, you know, we talk about being the same age. Like, like as somebody who wears knee sleeves to squat now. Yo, like, no, out I'm of shopping on of... knee sleeves right now on Amazon. Like, no yeah. shit. 
Yeah. So, so you know, it's a knee problem is not something you understand unless you've ever actually heard it or you're old. Uh, kid I played high school ball with tears his left ACL his junior year. Uh, works all year to rehab it. Misses football, misses baseball. Comes back first game his senior year, tears the right one. Oh. Yeah. And so when when people say like they have knee issues, I, I take those things to heart, and it just sucks that um, you know as a as a longtime San Antonio Spurs <laughs> fan, like, just the idea that like we weren't doing everything we could to to have this guy be healthy for as long as possible in a situation where look like like we're you know the model small market franchise like you can go a few years not getting to the finals and it, everything still be okay everybody have faith in you and you're going to sell just as many jerseys and tickets as you would have otherwise um yeah fumbled the ball on that definitely dropped the bag on that and you know the fact that you said you know this is what's going on with this leg oh yeah we don't need him to play tonight um you know you worry about the guy long term and what was his what was his rookie year 2012 yeah 2012 was his rookie year. So, you know, it's only been, you know, eight years in the league. Now at a time where guys are playing 10, 15 years. And so and, and, you know, and one of those rash of injuries stem from overplaying and from AU years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so yeah, I, it, it's you're the Clippers. Like, and I hope <laughs> they realize that they're the Clippers. And it's just like, look, nobody really has expectations of you. Like you got the guy on a few year deal, like that just just you know. And all you young people cool. listening to this podcast are like, yeah, yeah, you're right. It's the Clippers. We're 35. Yeah. The Clippers have never been good in their lifetimes. Never and ever. Even those blips were second round flameouts. So let's relax. Yeah, like like Darius Miles, Quentin Richardson, oh. uh, Nagetti. Like I I remember them, but not for winning. Even the Lob they City look, kids, like I remember them for yeah. Donald Sterling and not getting along. Yeah, I, Lob City was Lob City probably peaked the year after the Spurs won the title and they beat them in seven. I was at my sister's graduation at FAMU, watching downstairs. Pretty sure I broke a window. But um, yeah, <laughs> outside of that, like there's really nothing to hang your hat on. Um, all it did was cost Blake Griffin about you know two hundred thousand a month. But yeah, mm. that, that that's about it. Wow. That is an accurate accounting of Blake Griffin's money. That is <laughs> um, baseball. You're a Nats fan. This can't continue, man. What's the the, the biggest thing, Tom? And I know we're going to talk about it a bit later. But why does the NBA bubble, the WNBA bubble, why do these things work? Because you play a sport where you can have um, a bunch of places to play and practice in a small space. Yes. There aren't like it's not like when we were playing little league and you would have the four baseball diamonds only separated by fences out there with one porta potty in the middle um, that you can close off to everybody. Like this is a sport that is not built, um, and I say you know I said it might be like a spot in Arizona, but it's not built to be able to enclose everybody and to cut them off from everything, especially when you're like going to let guys travel. What like you that. say there was really important to me. You could have set up regional bubbles. Yeah. But the Players Association, they didn't want that. And I understand that because I talked about this last week. As this pandemic started, one of the things that people were largely concerned about was the psychological effects of people in quarantine not being able to see or touch their children. It's a real mm-hmm. fact. That's the same worry for baseball players in a bubble for six, even 60 games. Like the basketball thing, that was kind of a mutually assured destruction thing. Like, we need this fucking money. Um, and they found a way to get it done. And they're going to bring the families in as the playoffs go on. And I, and the fact that it's working, like they have no positive tests since I think the 13th of July. Like it's working. Mm-hmm. Baseball is the opposite. Like it's like the good what? and somehow the bad and the ugly are both in baseball because not only are, are there no signs of them slowing down transmissions, now it's almost been fucking normal. It's been two weeks. They just postponed the St. Louis Cardinals uh, game and it's just on the, the ticker. If I'm on ESPN right now, it just says, Braves play at 6.05, Chicago um, Cubs, St. Louis postponed, and it's like like a rain delay. Like there was yeah. like, what, what the fuck? This is a cardiovascular disease that is attacking people and keeping professional athletes on the shelf for months after the diagnosis. What are we doing? There's not even, yo, for the players, there's not even revenue share, which is honestly, 
you you didn't want revenue sharing baseball owners because you didn't want to know how much you're making. Congratulations, because now you got to pay them still. Yeah, yeah, it's watching 18 people on a team and staff, you know, all get it, and knowing that you know they were deciding beforehand if they should go out and play, like. There needs to be one person in charge making very firm decisions on this thing. Um, and they don't seem to be willing to do that because everybody wants that bread. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, there's no way that there's going to be a, nobody's winning a World Series this year. It's just not going to happen. So I get to hang my hat on the fact that my team is the last team to win the World Series, um, you know, and, and so, until 2025 when everybody's able to go back outside. Yeah. Right after it's, my um... It's it's nuts. It's and we talk about now we're gonna go to another baseball story. I don't know people thinking baseball. You want to talk about baseball and bad things happen? Well, a lot of bad shit happens in baseball. There you go. <laughs> um, Tyler Skaggs, we all remember ex pitcher for the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, stupid name. Um, he died on July first, twenty nineteen. Um, he was pronounced dead at the scene, choking in his own vomit with a, a mix of alcohol and fentanyl and oxycodone in the system. It was a very Loud but quiet kind of investigation around it inside the Angels organization. A lot of heads rolled. It looked like it was a systemic problem there, but I guess internal investigation showed what they had to do because Eric Kay, a former director of communications for the team, has been charged by the DEA with, by, with illegally supplying drugs to Skaggs last year. Um, he was arrested in Fort Worth, Texas, made his first appearance on Friday in federal court. And, uh, yeah, it is interesting that this is the fall guy. Um, the yeah. criminal complaint said that Skaggs sent David's text messages to Kay on June 30th, asking to deliver the pills to the hotel room. And the fact that we're even learning about this means that this guy probably didn't flip, um, or at least not yet. So maybe this is pressure, maybe because I don't care who you are, if you really believe that this guy got these pills just because he's just that in tune to the illicit drug game and didn't just like go downstairs. Um, that's an interesting thought. Yeah. Um, we really have it when I say we, um, you know, as as black podcasters and podcasters of color, um, I, I don't think a lot of us have had conversations about the opioid crisis because niggas been on drugs forever. You know, um, I and I've, I've said this on my show and it's not something like I'm ashamed of because it, it's a time before me. But like I had uncles on crack that I never knew were on crack. You know, it was just what it was. And, you know, they good things happen after, you know, bad things happen because, you know, affects different people differently. Like, Bob, the kid, uh, the kid who plays young Barry Allen on Flash died from opioid overdose. Like, it, it's just this is a thing that's happening to people. It's never happened to. And so watching it like a, a pro baseball player. We have been told, and when I say we, I mean we as a whole America have been told that these are not the people who have these drug addictions. Um, These are not the people who would lower themselves that way. And so when it started happening, now it becomes a quote unquote crisis. Um, And and yeah, I'm always shocked at first and then kind of brought back down to earth when we talk about, you know, these people who are not supposed to be in these positions of overdosing on these drugs actually doing it um and yeah the fact that it can be so normalized like he's getting it from somebody on the team um just like it's a a a social habit and now you know you got a kid dead you got somebody who's going to prison for it it's all just it's too real and and too in our face in a way that i think most people um aren't going to understand for a few years to come but yeah it's just kind of the way it is um now i'll say this um if I were to be a person who was supplying drugs, <laughs> there are people I would not supply it to. Um, those people being the people who my money actually depends on. No, you're going to have to get that from somebody else, Blake. You're not getting caught up in that. Prank caller, prank caller, click. There you like, go. What are we <laughs> I've seen both fishing got that. Um, yeah, man, I, one of my best friends in the world, some wedding day actually, I can't be there, it sucks. Um, she, she was a heroin addict. For years, yeah. I pulled her out of shit. And so when I see these stories of like the crisis, it's super personal for me. And I'm 
at one side like heartened that someone's going to have to answer for this man's death but at the same time if, if this guy's head rolls and no one else's does we've learned we're, we're actively learning nothing and i think maybe because like you said like as black americans we're more acutely aware of the effects of these things on people but we don't maybe other people don't see the jig but i'm like guys this is you can't just where do you think he and i don't know it's uh it's tough for me to communicate how frustrating it is to watch also frustrating the a's nazi who's the a's nazi well that's what his name is to me the oakland athletics bench coach ryan christensen gave the nazi salute twice on television this week Oh, he's his his statement. I made a mistake and ruled out the night, which means here comes some denial. Today, yeah, he didn't write that part. Today in the dugout, I greeted players with a gesture that was offensive. In the world of COVID today, I adopted our elbow bump, which we do after wins, to create some distance with the players. My gesture unintentionally resulted in a racist and horrible salute that I do not believe in. What I did was unacceptable, and I deeply apologize. That sounds like a good statement until you see the video. I invite everyone to go actively seek out the video and then listen to what I just read to you and see if those things are in any way congruous. That nigga's racist. Like, <laughs> I'm looking at, I'm looking at the still shot of him now with the mask on. As a nigga that says nigga all the time, that nigga says nigga all that the time. Racist. You know, we are, uh, I, I was funny, I was having a conversation about, you know, Germans not talking about Nazis at all. Like, I guess part of their kind of public heritage at this point. And it's like, well, because they actually fucking hate Nazis and they don't want to be associated with that. Um, but Some it reminds them, me of- Let's also well, not broad brush Germans. Some of them hate Nazis. Absolutely. They got sleeper cells Some of them want to sleep But no, so it reminds me of the time that, you know, WWE was doing a tour in Germany and JBL and his infinite wisdom decided to goose step along the apron. Um, yeah. You know, and, and at that point, you know, Whatever JBL is or isn't, that's a whole conversation for another show. No, but it's, it's just no. <laughs> that was just, fast but, easy. But no, but Ron Simmons is one of the good ones. But Ooh, um, God damn it, this is not that yeah. podcast, damn it. <laughs> but um, no, but it's it's just understood that there are things you can't do, like like in decent society, you can't goose step, you can't do the Nazi salute, you certainly can't do it twice. But you know that's that's not what's in his heart. And again, every picture I see of him now. Um, that nigga's motherfucking racist. I can see. He cannot be allowed to keep his job. Yeah. I don't give a fuck what's in his heart. You know what's in his, what's in his, what's on his uh, actions? Two Nazi salutes. After yeah. the first guy pulls his arm and says, don't do that shit. He does this shit again. Yeah. So when he's not fired, and when I tell you the biggest problem of racism in this country is white people affording other white people the benefit of the doubt, mm-hmm. believe me. Because this shit here, there is no doubt. He thought the Nazis would be funny. He thought he'd get away with it. Or he gambled that he it wouldn't really fucking matter. And did it, yeah, like you said, the second time did it at the player. He, but he's making eye contact with the guy. I've said this before. Baseball players of, of the major athletes in our country are the dumbest on whole as a group. And for those of you who are, wait a second, fine, here we go. NFL, you have to be in college for three years. I don't give a shit what happened to you. You have to be in a scholastic environment for three years. NBA, you got to get a semester in. I need you to qualify not only to go to college, but to go to semester and stay eligible. Baseball, we're going to take you out of high school and put you in a town. We're going to have sex with townies and play baseball. And it's never like, you know, liberal town usa oh, oh i'm sorry i'm sorry and by town <laughs> i decidedly don't mean cultural centers yeah i mean fucking town i don't mean dots on a map i mean the space between he must be here to play baseball and guess what is what they what they say in three months yeah <laughs> he, he must be here for baseball they're yeah, spending yeah. their free time in libraries exceptions to the rule you want to throw in my face are exceptions that prove that fucking rule yeah. but yeah I don't give a shit how dumb you are. You know what a non-salute is. You know why you can't do it. You know definitely not to do the fucking thing twice. Let's go to the NFL and talk about Cam's favorite football team. Palm. The Washington professional football team who apparently heard my memo for the last eight years and decided to do what I've been doing and calling themselves that, which is hilarious. Um, yesterday, you're running back. You're running back. 
and I'm going to personalize you just because you guys don't want to do this, but it's camp, so fuck it. Your running back, Darius Geis, decided to strangle a woman, which is a felony in Virginia, and the Washington professional football team released him because that's beyond the pale. So domestic violence is bad Fact. in, in every scenario. I want to start by saying that, so I don't want the second thing I say to really, take away from the congratulations first. Congratulations on making me almost as uncomfortable as you said. That's not what I did last night. I was like, uh-oh. That was wow. really his podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. So um, can I tell you um, when you know a relationship is a bad relationship? When you're cited for domestic violence on Valentine's Day. Because what came out was, you know, the, the arrest happened now, but it's actually the third incident in like since February. I think there was one in February, one in March and one in May um, that he's had. So this is like, yeah, this isn't it wasn't really a knee jerk reaction. It's like this nigga's been wilding out. Um, so, yeah, when you have a domestic a moment, violence, this is what he does, he hits. With yeah. When it happens on Valentine's Day, that just speaks to all kinds of you can just see in your head all the things that could have went wrong. Um, and just to know that his reaction to problems is this. It's not somebody you need on your team. And it's bad. Like, we don't know everybody's personal lives, but, you know, really good college player, um, you know, gets hurt right out the gate and, you know, you know, has this chance to be your team's franchise back. And you're like, I'm just rooting for this kid, rooting for this kid. Then I remember him <laughs> in, in, uh, in the Oval Office smiling with Trump while he's holding the dope walker. And it's like, you know what? There are things about this guy that aren't good. And he continues to prove that um, does not need to be any part of anybody's franchise, um, needs to get his life in order and then figure things out from there. Uh, Paul, the best part, who was his pro comparison coming out of college? Who was he said for the show? Well-known Rutgers running back, Ray Rice. Nice. Who made that comp? Because I think you should get a raise. It's pretty good. Yeah, yeah, right? <laughs> Somebody's money needs to go up. No jokes aside, pretty good comp. Yeah. Um, State of football. The deadline is coming past for opt-outs. And as it passed, the NFL and the players machine announced they were tweaking testing. If I'm a player who didn't opt out, like, okay, I'm here. I'm, I'm going to figure this shit out. We're changing the testing protocols. Motherfucker, like, y'all aren't even sure yet? Like, that would be the least confidence-inspiring news I'd ever heard. What? <sighs> They've had so long to do this. So long. I saw that video clip of the guys walking through the, uh, you know, the misters. Oh, my God. Yo, you know Tom Brady sold that shit. That's a TV-12 yeah. shit right there. That's what it feels like in my soul. And I think I, think I saw Vaughn Miller walk through, and I just got sick immediately. Like, you know, this could kill one. Like, I didn't even realize, like, you could die. Like, Because one of the reasons you cannot die is existing conditions, which Bonnor fucking has. But also, is it was also asterisks not for BMI or overweight issues because NFL. So the deadline's coming past, and 69 players have opted out. First of all, nice. Second nice. A lot of these might be names you fucking know, guys. Because it's not just like, oh, yes, it is people like Sam Beal, who was, you know, a starting corner for the Giants. Not great, not terrible. It's also Brandon Bolden, the running back for the Patriots. It's also five other Patriots, including Patrick Chung, one of the leaders of the best defense in the league. It's also, same on that defense, Dante Hightower. He just had a kid. He's not going out there. It makes sense. One of, yeah, my, friends, one of my friends, so my team, one of my teammates in college, his little brother, is the fullback for the Cowboys, Jameez Alawale. He will not be playing this year. And guess what, guys? These guys are opting not into, like, oh, just going to hang out at home. Yes, they're getting a little bit of money to keep the students afloat. That stipend's due back next year. Yeah. And guess what? If they don't make a team next year, they still owe the money. True story. When I was a sports agent, we had a client who was a offensive lineman from Oklahoma. And he... I uh, was picked up free agents after the draft by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. In one of his appearances in the preseason, he picked up a late hit call. A late hit penalty was for like 35 grand. He didn't make the team. So now, if he were ever to go back to the NFL, guess what he owes them? 35 racks. Ah. So, 
I, tell, yeah. I say that to say this. It's not always as simple as I'm just going to, you know, not play. Because there are players here who have opted out to never to, – to no money. Here's the guys opting out to no money. John Atkins, Travis Benjamin, Russell Bodine, Caleb Brantley, Chandler Brewer, Maurice Kennedy, Josh Harvey Clemens, um, Sean Chol- Coleman, Josh Doxson, Jake Dobrek. Like The name's going on. I'm telling you this because these are guys who are opting into no money. They're opting yeah. into unemployment. Yeah. I mean, the interesting one for me, uh, you know, former Texas Longhorn, uh, Marquise Goodman, um, you know, I think uh, what was the situation? I think his wife, um, I think an information that he shared, not information I'm putting out into the world, I think they had three miscarriages um, and, you know, finally uh, successfully had a baby. And, you know, in his mind, like he just cannot risk, you know, messing up, you know, what they've built. And you completely understand, you know, um, and doubly for him as somebody who was an Olympian, um, knowing that, like, I just, I hold Olympians, like, kind of off to the side because I know just how much goes into them being able to compete, how they don't get, you know, every opportunity. And you mess up there once, you've got to wait four years, or four years might not be there for you. And, and so for somebody like that, you know, with all these other things going on, you know, knowing that there might not be an NFL for him coming back, you know, putting family up above that. It's so unfortunate the guys are put into that position, especially when we don't think the NFL season is going to happen. Like, like they're going to start. Like, some, there might be a game or two. I but. Think like, I, I'm, I doubt they'll start. Like, because finishing is more important than starting. And once you have a road to a finish, I don't see the point in starting. Yeah. Um, Tredavious White, he opined on the internet that he was undecided about playing. And Bills fans, Bills fans, and called him selfish and destroyed him on the internet. And he tweeted, crazy that me choosing my family's well-being over a game comes with the so-called fans attacking and questioning me and saying that I'm selfish. No matter, no, you guys are selfish for thinking football is bigger than life. Oh, by the way, my girl's grandfather passed from COVID. You understand now. Now, this is a great player, a star cornerback for them. And it's a Bills fan base that is mm, angry and white. And so you, of course, got the replies to that. Like, this is a true Bills fan, but yes, it is. White has two small children in the home. He was still discussing the situation. He wanted to be quarantined at home with his children without him present. Like, it's a lot of stuff going on. And it's a hard decision. And you know what? He decided to fucking play. And he's a man, and he made a decision, and I, I support him whenever he decided. But you cannot pretend it happened in a vacuum. You cannot yeah. pretend that he didn't hear these words. It's really gross, really disgusting, and um, yeah. It bugs the shit out of me. Well, let's talk about things that also bug the shit out of me because we're getting to the heart of this podcast uh, 40, 50 minutes in. College football. I'm going to get to the Pac-12 part because I want to talk about some things that happened this week that deserve to be discussed because let's make one thing very clear. The Pac-12 story is the biggest story in, in sports. Not in college football. Honestly, not just in sports, really in labor. Well, let's start here first. Let's start with some layup shit. Let's start in Texas with Gary fucking Patterson. I woke up to Gary, someone said, Gary Patterson, uh, couldn't have done this. It's TCU. I go, what did Gary Patterson? And then I Googled it. Cameron, what the fuck, man? Yeah. As somebody who has had multiple friends play for Gary Patterson, I've never heard, like, a good thing about Gary Patterson. Not to say I've heard bad things, but I've never just mm-hmm. heard anything good. Um, they, they don't ride for him like I've seen, you know, people I know ride for other coaches. So this – this idea of sending people back to the hood. Um, you know, it's just the power of, of, of football coaches um, and how they recruit and who they recruit and the power that they ex- ex- exude over them is just an ugly thing. Um, and just the idea that, you know, he's, he's out here using hard R's and does not feel like he needs to be held accountable for it is just nasty. Um, you know, we, we, if we've never known Palm before now, we know how much these coaches in these schools need these players, not the other way around. We know exactly. it to be fact. We are seeing it more so than ever. And just the arrogance that they have uh, to treat people who are making them money like this is just nasty. And I'm not like I'm not shocked about small school coach in the Dallas, Texas area. 
<laughs> being a racist piece of shit. And I'm not going to back off of that because that's exactly what this is. Like, you're using your position as a white person in power to reduce and, and frighten and intimidate a black said to, to Dylan Jordan, the linebacker, um, Richard freshman from Pittsburgh, Kansas. And when he says, you're a fucking brat, I'll send you back to Pitt. That's a real ass threat. Mm-hmm. And it goes to the heart of the the back to thing, I promise we can get to it. Because we take these black athletes out of these black neighborhoods, we bring them to these white institutions, and we extract money from them. Yeah. And we give nothing back to the place they came from and give nothing back to them. And most of them, well, they, make the, they got the education. Don't, motherfucker. Unless you're going to pay a coach in college credits, shut the fuck up. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it's wild. And then you get schools that are having other problems. Because, yes, we can talk about racism in college football, literally all that. Uh-huh. Coaches who say fucked up shit to players. I, I'm i a salesman. When I started selling something to someone, said, I'm, I can be kind of tough to work with. I say to them, I played offensive lineman in college. You can't even hurt my feelings. And it's true. I've been called and told the worst. They, some of them are so bad, they're funny. Like, we tell jokes about them. And some of them are legitimately funny. Some of the coaches are kind of witty. I'm not going to lie. Like, some shit you would say to your friend and laugh about. Like, but we weren't friends. There's a power dynamic there. You're yeah. not my friend. You're my coach. I can't say it back to you. <laughs> Yo, right? <laughs> Though sometimes that that line also gets crossed. Anyway. <laughs> there are schools where they don't give a shit about football. Football matters. It doesn't matter, matter. Colorado, Rutgers. Fucking Virginia Tech. That's all they've really got at Blacksburg, so maybe it doesn't matter. But they're all having COVID outbreaks. They're all having players report traveling. There's no sort of, and that's the thing, is that you look at even on the conference level. There is no standardized conference protocol anywhere, and that's how we got to the issue with the Pac-12, because what's happened in the Pac-12 is Stanford, there are certain players who are whose teams are taking it very seriously. Apparently, Stanford's one of the ones that is. But because the world is smaller than it ever was, because these players are more connected than they ever were, they know that every other school is not doing this. And what I mean by that is I say, I always used to say about um, Ivy League football, the difference is going to be coaching. They're all recruiting the same bucket of kids. Mm-hmm. And as I knew someone on most of the teams in the Ivies, like it was, it was, or I knew someone who knew someone, you know what I'm saying? It was all kind of connected. But then I hadn't really thought about that in the Pac-12 because the Pac-12, yes, is a large conference, but most of those kids come from fucking California. That's where all the talent is. They grew up playing with each other, against each other, They've and in a more connected era. Because a 400-person group chat, my brain can't, I don't know if I know 400 people, let alone people I want to speak to. But that's how it happened. These guys started comparing notes across schools. And they built this coalition and said, hey, look, we need these things for health and safety for right now, but also at the corner of what we're talking about is restorative racial justice. And... I always say the least dependable people in America are the 18 to 22 American male. And by and large, I'm right. Fuck that. I am right. But what the pandemic has done is it gave these kids time to talk. Because that's one of the things, one of the games they play. You've worked in this classic environment before. One of the games they play is they don't even let the players really talk to other teams. Mm-hmm. You keep us separating so we can't compare notes and say, like, yeah, we're all getting treated like shit. It's like when you're the one black person or one of few black people at a largely white institution and you think to yourself, man, I'm the only one going through it. You don't know that other person struggles because they too are conditioned not to talk about it. Mm-hmm. So nothing has changed. It's the reason they don't want you talking about how much money you make it worth. So you compare notes, you know someone's getting fucked. Yeah. So these players finally have the downtime right out. They finally have the downtime to say, hey, what is going on here? Well, how are we getting taken advantage of? And they could do it. They followed the money. And that's why the core of what they're asking for is a 50% equitable split between the money going to the conference and the money going to the players. And why did they say that? Because they saw it. You saw the number of programs Stanford dropped because they couldn't play football. And if Becky needs Rashad to throw a football for fucking you to row, we better cut Rashad a fucking check. Yeah. At the core of the Pac-12, even acknowledging these demands for me, is the win. Because... You cannot have a work stoppage unless one side is labor. Yeah. Once you've identified me as labor, we're having it again. Entirely different conversation. 
Absolutely. It's I, I, I tweeted like earlier today, and it's basically like if you were ever on the side of college athletes should not be getting paid. All you have to look to now is that these conferences and the NCAA are doing everything they can to get these kids to come out and play football. And what's the reason? If these people who are not paid to play football don't play football, other people will not get paid. And if you were, let's say you're just a student and somebody said, hey, we'll pay for your college entirely. We'll give you a scholarship for four years, but you're going to have to physically go to school in the wake of this pandemic. You might choose to go, but it's not going to be an easy choice. You're not just going to say, oh, okay, you're paying for it. I guess I'll go and risk my health. And you're also like not going to, like you said, pay these people in college credit. Like you're not doing that. Nobody right now in the world is going to an unpaid internship in the face of a pandemic. They're not going to do it. And it's literally what you're asking these kids to do. So you're saying, if, if you don't go out there and work for free, I'm not going to get my money. I can't pay for my house, my boat, my divorce, whatever it is you have. And so you're literally saying that they're workers, they're laborers, they're the ones who earn this money. And so got to cut them a check. Yeah, I think what these kids are doing is amazing, Paul. Um, one of, and it's not something I'm proud of. Um, I might have been, you know, kind of out there in my younger days, but I have a group chat with uh, some of my best friends and two of them knew each other, but they only know each other through me. You can imagine um, <laughs> the, the stories I've heard about the heartbreak when certain girls found out that they all of a sudden knew each other because boy, did those notes get broken. <laughs> um, and, and so, yeah, it's just this level of communication that we can have now, um, you know, you know, with us as older people, but like you said, with these kids who can now look, you know, across the hall, so to speak, and see what's going on with the other half. And yeah, it's just giving them so much more power. Um, this communication has been amazing through them. And, you know, you hope that it carries. Like, you know, you have Texas down here, uh, the kids unite and say, hey, we're not singing that racist-ass song no more. Here's, here's what else needs to happen. Um, and so you hope that this becomes kind of a wide thing because it's so much money out there that people are just hoarding and sitting on when they could be treating these kids right. Um, and I think that and what's wild, and what's wild yeah. is like you're right, you're a thousand percent right. Everything you said is right. But what's wild is that these Pac-12 kids get to be the model for other kids. The Pac-10 did something a bit more toothless. I'm thankful. We'll talk about that later. The um, Mountain West is coming out with a statement. And just this morning, about 20 minutes or two hours ago, it looks like the AAC athletes are on hazard pay from revenues if they're going to play. UCF just uh, postponed practice from last Thursday to next Tuesday, and they never told us why. It looks like this might be it. Like, this could be the beginning of a real deal, like, get your rights, get your money kind of thing for college football players that has been needed that I honestly can't believe is happening in my lifetime. Talk about the yeah. big changes that we've seen in the last three months. The Confederate flag banned at NASCAR. They took it off the fucking Mississippi State House. The song in Texas getting taken away. But these players have seen that we don't want the smoke, baby. We want the fire. We want this. We want this really things to change. And guess what? They identify the problem as systemic. So solution will not be here's a band-aid. And that's what the cool part is. Because these kids came in, like you said, eyes open. It looks like there's no fear, but I think, like we mentioned earlier, this is that courage. Yeah. Let's talk about wrestling. Let's let's do that. AEW's in the news, guys. AEW is making big moves. They've got their you know, the demo king, and they're they're moving on units on Wednesdays. But um, they've had some kind of social media public snafus in the last couple of uh, days. Could you just kind of give us a quick view of that for the listeners? So it's it, it's wild to be as close to all this stuff. So basically, it's also I want to um, acknowledge something here before we get started. Cam and I are closer to this than we can probably talk about on the air. Yeah. And so when we're trying to find <laughs> the words to discuss this, it's really important that you give us a little grace here. Go ahead, Cam. Yeah. So so I guess you want to – we're going with Brandy Rhodes first. Uh, let's, start with, let's start with heels. Okay. So a couple of days ago, um, you know, Brandy Rhodes, um, Cody Rhodes' wife, has this, like, I call it kind of a club initiative as I was kind of looking at it, but basically this group called AW Heels. 
Um, you pay a yearly subscription. You have access to Q&As and interviews and seminars, things of that nature. And it's basically um, a club for women wrestling fans um, to be heard, to speak, to, to understand. I, I don't want to say the inner workings of how wrestling goes, but just to have a feel for the, the, the cast and characters of what's going on and just to have kind of an open discussion. So um, I got to look at it and I'm kind of like, oh, it's like, a, you know, like the that trunk club where they send you free or they send you outfits every month based on a subscription. It's kind of how I see it. Right. But basically she tweets out this and, you know, there's a bunch of people who immediately, you know, sign up for it and think it's the coolest thing in the world. But then there's a bunch, bunch of people because it's wrestling. So you're always going to hear uh, more negative, uh, regardless of how good the thing is. But I'm like, yo, you could just put more women on TV. Hey, you could just have like a competent women's yeah, division. Like the, this thing is unnecessary. It feels like the Confederate flag from NASCAR without any black drivers. I'm like, you could just, you know, yeah, do the do the thing. Like just just actually fix the thing that we were upset about. And it comes with he was like, I think they got collected like eight minutes that week. Like, what the hell is happening? It's so yeah. interesting because you and I have talked about this offline, and it's not creating any confidences. You know, discuss how they build themselves as something different, but their first two champs, all their champs mm. so far, except for the tag champs, are XE guys. Cody is the only TNT champ. Their world champs have both been biggest names were in WWE. Like, what are we, how different is this really? Oh, we got Eric Bischoff. Oh, shit. Remember 20 years ago, TNT? What are we doing? <sighs> While there are some really, really good standout things about what's going on with AEW, one of the core problems is over-promising, under-delivering, and then oversharing on the back end. Like That's really what the biggest issue is. I think that you have um, very charismatic, very interesting, very dedicated people uh, who are the figureheads of this thing. But I also think that when criticized, when there's pushback, when they're asked to explain what it is they're doing, they have a problem handling that. Um, I think that the Bucks are the worst at it, um, and that's why they kind of jumped off of Twitter. And it's just, this is not me saying the Bucks are bad people. It's me saying that they are not the type of people who can process being criticized. They can't tune it out. Um, I think that also is starting to carry over uh, more for Cody and Brandon because. Brandy's response when people told her, no, just have women wrestle on TV, her response was, women don't even really like to watch women wrestle. Now, I don't even think she really feels that way. I think that... My favorite segments on Raw, on on any WWE program for the last three months, have been Sasha and Bayley. You can't mean... like. Yeah, okay, I don't so think I she. Know. Yeah, I don't think she means that. And, and the biggest thing is, like, if you are again, these are people who are on Twitter all day. Like, you see women cosplaying as wrestlers. You see women dedicating entire accounts to wrestlers. Um, so th- it's just something I don't believe she felt. I think that that was a response out of anger, right? But Brandy Rhodes is also the person who wrote a paragraph on Instagram about how hurt she was that she wasn't allowed to speak on black issues because she has a white husband. I have a white wife. Yeah. And and, and you're black as shit. Up. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and guess what? <laughs> you, you and your lovely white wife go through all kinds of problems based on that. You go through problems by yourself outside of her. Exactly. Because you're black. Like, it, that doesn't turn off. But the issue is not that she had an emotional reaction to what people said. The issue is that she had to write a paragraph on it. Um, Brandy is having this habit of, I need you to know my emotions on a situation. Um, And again, not just Brandy. I'm talking about the people who are the figureheads of the company. I need you to know my emotions on the situation, not how I actually feel about the situation. Like, I think think the biggest problem there is something I talked about on Richard's show that I actually got um, props from Wade on. Everything you that WWE show, everything that WWE shows you is work. People they were covering Paul or Triple H's title changes like real news, and I was just like, guys, they don't have to tell us. The fact that they told us tells us the work. 
You can't say, I think everything is a carny from these carny folks, except when it's a corporate communication. Where the fuck would they stop being carny folks? And the problem with AEW is that they don't want to be carny folks. They want to be real. And it's really funny. I don't know if you heard um, Cody's interview talking about trying to sign Gallows and Anderson, but he talks about getting drunk with Gallows. Gallows gave him one number from Impact. He got drunker, gave him another number. And he said, I had to laugh because it was the most carny shit in the world. And I take all this shit so seriously. I needed someone like Gallows around to remind me that what this business really is. But that's full stop. That's what this business is. And people are like, oh, you're going to you're gonna win uh, measurements on – or you're going to measure success on money in wrestling? I'm like, yes. Yes, it's an yeah. art, sure. But this art's based on money. And – yeah, you can say, oh, you know, we take ourselves super seriously and we're going to take all this and take everything we put in there personally. Or Paul Levesque's demotion change could just be to get the people shook and shaking when he's, the change was made behind the scenes months ago and doesn't amount to goddamn thing. But we know that dropping this information will make them churn, as opposed to saying, here's how I actually feel. Hey, I have a really important question for you, um, Cam. You and I have heard interviews you guys know you we could probably ascertain certain things do you know for a fact how triple h feels about any talent for a fact i do not he points at them all the same and has the same smirk when they win the title isn't that weird how it almost feels like they're always working us and i yeah. think the differentiation right now i honestly think in ring it's probably a push i think maybe AEW's a little bit better a little more freedom Storytelling, Bush, I find AEW inconsistent. The, con the commitment to being a wrestling company, shockingly, is WWE. Yeah. Because if you're a TV company, you're talking about ratings. And that's fine. If you're a wrestling company, you're talking about dollars. Yeah. You can't tell me dollars don't matter when you're pumping out um, action figures and video games. But if you want to be a TV company, let's talk demo. That's cool. They said it was profitable quarter on record, bro. What are we doing? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I. Am I tell, first? You tell me if I'm crazy the way I'm looking at the business now. No, 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 no. not at, not at all. I, I think, think weird that... zen place with wrestling where I'm like kind of under. It's like I can see the matrix almost. Like, oh. Yeah. And I think Cody can see it too, but he gets too caught up in the fact that he's so invested. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I mean. With all due respect to the guy, again, a guy I think is one of think, the very you know, I, best I, I promos in the business. Since he decided to bet on himself, like I, yeah. this is my favorite story. The Cody Rhodes story is my favorite professional wrestling story, probably in my lifetime. However, what's happening right now, you can watch the wobble because guess what? He's never been in front. Yeah, and being running a race in front is very different than running a race than chasing someone. It's being almost the, like it's easier to book a, a heel champ than a babyface. Being in the Cody Rhodes business um, has been very good for Cody Rhodes. <laughs> it's great, for uh, Rhodes. but you know, being in the AEW business is a different thing. You know, Cody, um, and and what's bad about it is he lets you know how smart he is. Um, and you know, like think about Triple H. Triple H kind of sits in the pocket, handles business, you know, puts on a good show, and um, you just kind of take that for what it's worth. To the point where people think Triple H should be in charge of the whole thing. You know, and again, like you said, we don't know how he actually feels about anything. We, we know just what, know we know we're back. told. Yeah. Sit you think back. Work in Meltzer? Yeah. Sit back, makes a good TV show, and uh, and that's kind of what you get from him. You know, um, you know, Cody comes out, you know, at the start of AEW and opines openly about how black people dominate every sport, so why not wrestle? Like does this out in the open, right? Fast forward to to now and all these super talented black guys are on dark. They're on the YouTube version of your TV. And then, you know, you sprinkle in one or two of them, and then Mike Tyson shows up on the regular show. You know, so, like, his biggest issue is, like, he wants you to know how passionate he is about everything. And then the two hours that you see don't necessarily reflect that passion. And then he feels the need to justify it on the back end. You know, shut the fuck up just would have been easier. You could have just done the thing you said you were going to. Yeah, I do appreciate you coming on, man. I didn't do the whole spiel before. Could you tell everyone where they can find you and everything you do out here? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So weekly, you can hear me on the Pro Wrestling Torch East Coast cast. That's every Wednesday evening, taking your calls, emails, and voicemails about the week in wrestling, hosted by Travis Bryant, co-hosted by myself and the uh, the great Rich Fan. 
Um, you can see my writing on uh, fan-sided DDT, on uh, dailyddt.com. Uh, my most recent thing was kind of a sit-down interview with uh, Faye Jackson, just talking about the wrestling off-season as it's been for independent wrestlers. And, of course, like you said, you're always getting worked. You can't say things when they happen, but then, you know, she shows up two weeks later and is in the audience on Dynamite for two weeks. Um, but, yeah, just talking about kind of the off-season of wrestling, how WrestleMania weekend – um, you know, it was going to be like this big creative uh, thing and big money making thing for a lot of independent wrestlers and how you kind of recover mentally from that and hope to bounce back uh, here later in the year. Um, South Congress podcast every single week, um, except the weeks it doesn't happen. Talking about the goings on in pop culture. Um, you can actually expect an episode out uh, this coming weekend that we recorded. And of course, Sarah J is on the cover because reasons. Um, and outside of that, um, if you are somebody who likes to watch <laughs> wrestling things on YouTube, you can actually see me on Botchamania episode 414 reading a passage out of Hardcore Holly's autobiography. Can't that video also be found on other streaming services? Um, as far as I know, it is only on YouTube and YouTube alone. Um, not you should probably home. not search. Uh, not <laughs> um. If you are somebody who... It's about to, um, I'm pretty sure about to is on Pornhub, right? <sighs> it's on, it's on your business card, Cameron Hawkins, <laughs> I've seen on Pornhub. That's, <laughs> hold on, that's what your context is in my phone. Oh, my God. Um, so, yeah, pretty, uh, actually, isn't that crazy? Like anywhere where you stream videos, you can oh, probably okay. see me. <laughs> but, no, yeah, uh, shout out to Matthew, man. That's... uh. One thing that's happened uh, for, I know for me, I know for you, uh, my man Rich, Travis, um, being in this thing long enough and having, uh, you know, having the passion and the belief and the trust and the work ethic to stick with these things, to stick with these podcasts, um, to be active on social media. You start making these connections and people reach out to you for stuff. And shout out to Matthew, man. He's a guy who I, I've watched your content for years and years and years. And you were like this, you know, this unreachable ghost guy. And you're asking me to help you with your content. Um, you know, sticking with this stuff as long as we have has been, has been great. And it's open doors. And like, I don't kid when I say B Palm is the very best comic podcaster because I sit back and I listen to this stuff and when a deep palm or a rich fan puts in all this work and effort into making their content good I feel like I should be doing the same and yeah it's been paying off it's been a uh, good stuff I do appreciate you coming on I appreciate the kind words and one of the cool things that's been afforded me is because I'm a loud person on the internet is I'll be doing something I've never done before I'll be streaming video games um, I'll be doing two charity streams this month. Next Saturday, I believe, the 15th at 5. Or yeah, I'll, I'll make sure to update it like on my social media and stuff. But I'll be uh, playing Madden or something that for an hour there, talking in the stream, hang out. I'm going to do donations for the Brave Space Alliance. It is a um, Chicago-based um, for the uh, uh, support for the uh, south and west side of Chicago for their uh, trans organization. And, yeah. The money's gonna be going there. They've got a whole breakout of how the money's gonna be gone, gonna be uh, raised and where it's going. But yeah, it's um, something I'm excited to be participating in. And if you want to see me be embarrassed by doing something I've never fucking done before, this is a great way to watch me fail on my face or succeed gracefully and become one of the biggest streamers of all time. One of the two is going to happen. I would bet on the former, not the latter. That was the show. This is your outro. See you guys next week. Yeah, 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 yeah.